the easier you make it, then the more success they're going to have. So also the more success you have, the less nagging you have to do and the more independent the children are becoming. So we're basically using the environment to take some of our workload off because we're busy enough as we are. There's enough going on. So we always look to the environment, how it can do some of our work for us. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today I'm bringing back to the podcast Simone Davis, a Montessori teacher and parent educator who runs a Montessori playgroup in Amsterdam for babies, toddlers, and preschoolers up to four years old. She's also the founder of the Montessori Notebook, featuring free articles, downloads, and videos about how to bring more Montessori into your home. And incidentally, Simone also happens to be a dear friend and regular work buddy, and we meet up weekly to co-work over coffee, so I know she has lots of great things to share with our community. I wanted to bring Simone back on the show today to talk about our spaces, not metaphorically, but literally the spaces in our home and how we can best design and set them up to support our differently wired kids. I've watched as Simone developed her virtual e-course, Setting Up Your Home Montessori Style, and I was struck by how the approach she talks about in her course directly relates to the things we can do in supporting our kids' development of those crucial executive functioning skills, like task initiation and time management and planning and organizing, as well as fostering independence. So that's what we're going to get into today. How to set up your home, your kitchen, the shoes and coat area, the bedroom, a homework space to support your child in fostering these skills. I also have a special ask for you this week. As we're nearing our one year anniversary of the podcast, I've set a goal of having 50 ratings on iTunes. We are nearly at 40 right now, so still a great showing, but I would love to hit that 50 mark by our anniversary next month. So if you want to help me, it is super simple. Here's what you do. Just go to the Tilt Parenting Podcast page on iTunes and at the top, click on ratings and reviews. You can then leave a rating with just the click of a button. And if you're feeling super ambitious and you want to leave a review, by all means, go for it. Thank you so much for considering and helping us reach this goal. And now let's get on with the show. Hey, Simone, welcome back to the show. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me again. So for listeners, you may remember Simone as being one of my very first guests on the podcast. I think it was episode five. And we had a conversation about strategies for staying calm in difficult situations. And because we both live in Amsterdam, we recorded that episode in my apartment. But today we decided to Skype. So we're Skyping across town. We're trying to get a little better audio quality. So hope that works out. As I said in my introduction, you are a Montessori educator. And because we're work buddies, I get to have a close up look at all the great material you're creating, especially surrounding designing spaces and your program that you run setting up your home Montessori style. So That's what we're going to be talking about today in some ways. But before we get into that, would you mind just taking a minute to tell uh, listeners a little bit more about who you are, both personally and professionally? And as part of that, tell us a little bit about why you're so passionate about the concept of designing spaces. Absolutely. So I live in Amsterdam and I run Montessori classes for parents and kids. Um, I have two kids myself who are now teenagers, they're 16 and 14, 
And I came to the Montessori work when I was looking for a school for my kids and I was like idealistic and wanted them to love learning. And then I actually decided to become a Montessori teacher myself. And the reason I'm so passionate about setting up spaces is because as a Montessori teacher, we look at our environment as almost like a second teacher. We prepare our classrooms to help with um, how the children are going to learn. It's a three-way triangle. It's not just me standing in front of the classroom delivering information to kids. Instead, it's a very dynamic triangle between me and the child or the environment and the child and then me setting up the environment to facilitate that whole process. So that's where my passion comes from. I had never heard of that concept before of the environment being the second teacher or that triangle. That makes sense. So much (laughs) is clear to me in terms of what you do. Yeah, exactly. And then Montessori is now considered more a way of life and how we can actually use those ideas at home. So I um, help parents apply the same principles that I set up my classroom into how they can set up their homes so that their children maybe can be more independent or so there can be more order where everything else is chaotic or to give kids a feeling of safety and security where you know everything else can fluctuate in daily life. And also I just love how it helps encourage kids to be involved in our daily life. I think that sometimes um, it's almost switched where kids get to sit on the couch or play, you know, all day, every day. And actually we forget to just include them in normal life, like preparing meals or putting away their washing and all those kind of things. So we can definitely set up the home to facilitate all of that. Well, that's excellent. One of the big reasons, and you and I have talked about this, that I wanted to have you on the show is because I I mean, I often see a connection between what you're doing and what I think parents raising differently wired kids could use in terms of information and insights and strategies that will help them with their differently wired kids. And I see such a connection surrounding the idea of executive functioning. So, and we've done shows on executive functioning before, and it's really, there's so many pieces of executive functioning that differently wired kids on some level, often have deficits in. So it could be organizing and planning. It could be time management. For a lot of kids, it's like task initiation, getting started with something. For others, it might be following things in sequence. And so there's so much of the work that you do that I see could benefit our parents and help them support their kids' development of those executive functioning skills. So Just for listeners, that's where I see this all kind of fitting together. So where do we start? Like we, uh, there's so many kind of different spaces we could talk about. Perhaps we should start with getting out the door. That seems to be a tricky time for a lot of parents, especially with kids who maybe have ADHD or other things that where they space out or they get distracted really easily. So you're running late for school or for some appointment and you think that they're putting on their shoes and really they're sitting there uh, reading or taking apart a pencil, a mechanical pencil or doing something completely different. So let's talk about that particular transition, getting out the door. What ideas do you have or what do you see that parents could do in that space or to support their kids learning some strategies around how to get out the door? Yeah, I think it's really actually super simple. It's often we don't have the same place where we take up our shoes. Sometimes we kick them off in the kitchen and sometimes we kick them off in the hallway. And if we just actually set up our hallway 
that there's a spot where a basket maybe where they can throw their shoes and if you have hooks where they can hang up their coat and maybe their bag then it actually just helps because they get used to okay mum said I need to put my shoes on it's actually so easy because my shoes are already where I left them and when you do this routine day after day it becomes ingrained and helps them it's one less thing they have to think about in that series of things that they're going to get distracted with along the way So it's super easy, but it might even be having a chair so that there's actually a chair to focus them. Oh, I'm sitting on the chair. This is the chair that I always put my shoes on and that will help me get out the door. So it's really breaking it down and keeping it really easy, but also just making the space there really clutter-free and inviting so that they don't get distracted by the things that shouldn't be kicking around there. Because if there's a ball by the front door, then they might be like, oh, let's play ball now. Or So I think that just keeping it really simple and beautiful as they come in would really help kids stay on task in that area. So I realize as you're saying that, that I actually did finally now in Asher's 12th, well now 13th year of existence, I finally made that connection. And I found a little basket to put in our, or our closet hallway, just for hats and gloves. You know, I know that seems like a duh, Debbie, but it was so breakthrough for me because I had a really big basket before that it was kind of slid in and you had to pull it out and dig through all these mismatched mittens and things. And I finally just made this kind of really small thing. You don't have to pull it out. It's on a shelf. It only has like the pair of gloves for each of us and the hat we're wearing. And it just goes back in there (laughs) and you take it out. It's super simple, but I mean, I guess in some ways these are simple concepts, but it's a matter of taking the time to create them. Definitely. And maybe each person in the house, if there's a few kids, could have their own basket so that they can find their own thing without having to, you know, get distracted by someone else's things as well. I mean, even if there's a child who um, has trouble getting out the door, I wouldn't have a checklist for everything, but they might need a checklist the door to see oh do they have everything they need for school or do they have their gym bag on monday and run through that list that can also help them keep on task definitely yeah it's really simple <laughs> so so overlooked so say more about this idea of a checklist is that something that you put up in on the wall and that in the space where kids are getting ready how does that work exactly Yeah, well, first of all, I would definitely get the child involved in making this checklist. So like discussing with them, oh, at the moment, we're really struggling to get out the door. We're finding it really easy to get distracted. So let's make a checklist of all the things that we need to do. So what is there? And we can make a list with them of the shoes and their hat and their coat and all the things that they need or their bag and or certain days of the week that they need to take something. And then you can put together a checklist. If the child doesn't read yet, you can also just make a simple picture next to a word, for example, a picture of a shoe next to the word shoe. And then they can order what would be the most useful way to put it together. And then you can hang it in the hallway wherever you usually get ready to go. Um, Some kids like to actually check off each of these or other times they just like to point to it. But what I also really find handy about the checklist is that it stops you having to nag the kids because you can just say, oh, what does it say we need to do next on the list? And then you can use the list as the thing that's giving the instruction as opposed to you having to say, come on, I said your shoes now. Okay, now you cigar and having to give all those instructions that can just overwhelm them. So Mm -hmm. the checklist is really useful for that. The other thing 
to keep in mind is that they might need some help to order how they put these things on. So I remember when my children were younger, they'd go and put their mittens on and then they'd try and get their coat on. And of course, a mitten is going to block the coat going on. So we developed this system where we put the mittens at the bottom and then the coat and then the scarf and all of it was in order of how they would need to put it on. And so after a whole season of practicing that, the next season, we didn't need to go through this process. We're basically scaffolding skills and making it easier and giving them chances to be successful as opposed to having to say, okay, let's start again and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a great idea. It's funny as you you say that Asher has created his own order for putting things on and he right now as we're recording this, it's incredibly cold in Amsterdam right now. And the gloves have to go on before the coat goes on because he likes to tuck his sleeves into the glove. And then he and that's hard to do to keep to put on a glove while holding on to the edge of your sleeve. Then he needs to put the whole thing inside. It's a very complicated, I'm just saying. So maybe finding out what, you know, because some of our kids with sensory issues might have specific ways that they need to do it. So working with them to come up with that order. Definitely. Yeah. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. 
the recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. The other thing that I just wanted to circle back to what you just said is that idea of the checklist that it's something that they can do, because I think so many of us find ourselves in that position of nagging or after the fact, right, being outside. And why didn't you remind me? Why didn't you tell me to, you know, I needed my gloves? Why didn't you tell me, you know, it was going to be raining and I should have had a hood on? And for many of us, we want to be instilling in our kids this sense of responsibility, like you're responsible for getting yourself ready. And so when you have that checklist too, you're you're building that muscle of them taking responsibility for what they need. And you're kind of out of the equation. You can, of course, as you said, I like the idea of scaffolding you know, help them or give them reminders as they're first developing the skill, but then ultimately they can start to be fully responsible for making sure they have what they need. Yeah, definitely. I think that what you say about responsibility and scaffolding skills comes a lot into a Montessori approach at home. Yeah, definitely. And you also mentioned the idea of different days of the week having a different checklist. So would that be kind of a separate thing, like maybe having a calendar in that space as well? It depends on, yeah, how busy their week is and how old the child is. So for a younger child, you need to keep it super simple. And it might just be that it's alongside and you can mark, say, oh, yeah, remember, this is Monday. And what else do we need on Monday? And it comes on the same list. Or a child who can manage um, a calendar as well. Then we can say, hey, should we just check the calendar to see if there's anything that we need to take today? So both could work, definitely. Mm, Okay. Are there any other tips for that particular area or should we move to another part of the house? I think let's move on to another area. Yeah, what else do you want to know about? I feel like we're on a home hunters tour right now. (laughs) Let's talk about the bedroom. So, and you know, same as getting out the door, there's getting dressed, you know, just that very uh, simple act of getting dressed, uh, keeping our room somewhat organized. I mean, I think that's something that I'm really working on right now is helping Asher kind of be and more responsible for his space. But what ideas do you have about a child's bedroom? Like what would be your expectation of the kinds of things they should be doing on their own and how can we support that? There's definitely lots of things that they could do and it depends again on the age of the child. But I think something like making their bed can be very easy for a young child because you can maybe take off all the extra sheets and blankets and just have a duvet um, that you pull up at the end and that's them making their bed. So you're already scaffolding the skill. Mm. taking care of their room and that kind of thing. So that would be one thing that I would expect that they could do. And that's a one-step activity. So it's really good for executive function because Mm. it just is just building and building muscles basically on taking care of their space. Then taking care of their clothes is one thing that you can gradually build up as well, which might be that you need to organize their cupboards so that they know where everything belongs. And once you've finished the washing, that they would start taking responsibility for putting that in the right places. We have a set day of the week when that happens that gives our kids a point of reference so they know that it always happens on a Monday, that their clothes are expected to go away without overwhelming them every day and randomly so they kind of like the predictability. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that um, kids who are differently wired would also kind of like to know that that's going to happen as well. For younger kids, sometimes having labels onto drawers, like the, the t-shirts are in here, and these visual cues can actually also really help because the easier you make it, then the more success they're going to have. So also the more success you have, the less nagging you have to do and the more independent the children are becoming. So we're basically using the environment to take some of our workload off because we're busy enough as we are. There's enough going on. So we always look to the environment, how it can do some of our work for us. Yeah. So that's another area of the bedroom is like the wardrobe. And then just like keep it really super simple for clothes that are dirty. So have a laundry basket where we just have one in our bathroom, but some people have a hamper in their bedroom. And I would expect that children would also be able to start to learn to put their things back on the floor. And we always do it really positively. Like instead of saying, don't leave things on the floor, we'd say, oh, these clothes go in the basket if they're dirty. And they also can learn consequences eventually because if they don't put their clothes in the wash, then they don't have their favorite trousers ready Mm -hmm. again, you know, for the next day. So that's something to build up to as they get older as well. Definitely. Yes. I have a child who likes to wear a different pair of pajamas, like he wears pajamas once and then they're in the hamper or perhaps on the floor. So by the end of the week, I'm like, sorry, dude, pajamas are not a once a day, like one wearing and in the wash kind of a thing. So if you want to have pajamas at the end of the week, you got to fold them and put them away after, you know, you wear them once or twice. (laughs) But I also that's for me again, and I don't know, all kids are on different timelines. So maybe, you know, we're, we're late to the game, but I am starting to do what you suggest right now in terms of, you know, I'll do the wash. If the clothes aren't ready for me to wash, I won't wash them. Or if they're not turned right side out, I won't wash them. So if he wants his cozy clothes, then he, he, he'll he do that. And then once I wash them and fold them, I'm now putting them on his, he has a bunk bed. So on his bottom bunk, which he doesn't sleep on, I'll leave them there. And it's his responsibility to put them away. And he's happily doing that. So I'm kind of taking baby steps, again, that scaffolding and getting him maybe trained to do those things. But let me ask you a question about the role of us as parents and all this. So I am a super organized person. My mom is still in shock that I turned out this way because I wasn't when I was a kid, but I really like structure and organization and everything has its place. But I know that that's not the case for a lot of parents. And so how can parents kind of start reinforcing these skills in their kids if it's something that they struggle with as well? Do do you do work with parents in in that way? Or what thoughts do you have on that? I think that these kind of parents, it probably doesn't come naturally for them to always put their socks in the same place or to set up that entrance hall that we talked about that it would be quite difficult. So I would then get them to enlist a friend, someone who is super organized, who can just come in and help them get it set up. Because once it's set up, it's not brain science, it's not difficult. And they might just need them to come and check on them in six months to check that everything's <laughs> kind of still running as normal. But yeah, I mean, basically, maybe you could even, if we're an older child, say, hey, let's help each other. Because you know that I also struggle with putting my things back and you can help me remind me if I'm getting it wrong. And then you're kind of like playing along with them and making a little bit of a game of it as well. Or you can get people to come in and help you declutter and to help you set up your spaces and things like that if you're finding that you're also really struggling with it. And it just might be a one-off thing. Uh, One thing we haven't really talked about is actually getting rid of a whole lot of stuff out of your house anyway because I find that we've – with good intentions, like we receive presents from people and um, we have extra clothing that we're not really using. 
And so I think it's really important to just have a look at our spaces and get rid of some things so that it doesn't mean like if it's really hard for a child to pack away their clothes, if not everything fits in the drawer because mm-hmm. they're trying to shove it all in. So actually they need five t-shirts and they will get washed. Um, they don't need to have 10, 20 t-shirts in mm-hmm. there to struggle with. Yeah. So really you're talking about Marie Kondoing your house. <laughs> Quite possibly, yes. I actually, um, I did it myself a couple of years ago, and I feel like there's a weight lifted from me. I, instead of having all this extra clutter around, you really just keep things that you love or that are useful, and the rest you can say thank you for the joy you brought. And it might be a <laughs> gift that when I receive this, and then you can let it go. It, she doesn't even have a chapter on how to recycle things or anything like this because she just wants you to, at a point, get rid of stuff. And, um, then, you know, when it's a smaller amount, when you're sorting through things, then that's totally possible to donate. But sometimes we get so overwhelmed by how am I going to get rid of all these things? So sometimes you just have to let go and say thank you <laughs> to those things. It really makes a big difference. Yeah. I have to confess, I haven't read Marie Kondo's book, but I feel like I kind of live that lifestyle. I am a big purger and I, I'm constantly like getting rid of things because I can't stand clutter. And I am a big believer in keeping things simple. And I think that's a lot of what we're talking about. Like even, you know, you mentioning having just a duvet and a pillow, that is, you're right. It's a one step, like pull up the duvet, stick the pillow on, boom, bed made. And I think that's a good thing to keep in mind that there are Lots of opportunities to really simplify things so that our kids can be developing these skills and learning these habits pretty painlessly, right? And sometimes maybe we get caught up as parents or as adults in thinking that things have to be X, Y, and Z, right? Well, a bed has to have this sheet and a top sheet and a blanket and, you know, all these things. But maybe if we look at our environment through our child's eyes and think about how can we simplify in general, we might come up with some creative ideas. Definitely. We'll be right back after this quick break. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. 
It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I mean, also in the bedroom space, there may be toys. It depends how your house is set up. If you have a smaller living room, then sometimes toys are located in the bedroom. And that then requires a lot of organization so that it's still a peaceful place at nighttime when they go to bed. So it would mean actually maybe having some low shelves where you have just a few activities that the children are really enjoying at the moment and the rest you can put into storage. Um, And we always use in Montessori lots of baskets and trays where you have one basket per activity. And it just means that it helps the child take responsibility for their things because they have everything they need at the ready. It's easy for them to pack away because it goes in a certain spot. And so everything in its place is kind of like a Montessori slogan for when you're tidying things up around your house so that the children can have success. And I even find with older kids, I need to go in there once a month because stuff builds up and they don't really know where to put stuff anymore and it starts to accumulate. Yeah. So keeping control of the toys is a big thing. Do you think that kids should kind of tidy up their rooms before they go to bed? I mean, as you, as you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, a lot of our kids are have sensory processing issues and, you know, are very connected to the energy and their space or their environment. So in some ways, it seems like that would be a really important part of of a day, especially if they do have toys and things in the bedroom is making sure that they're kind of out of sight at night. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think that maybe even like if you have open shelves, you might even need to place a curtain that comes down at night if they're really, you know, being stimulated by those things and finding it hard to switch off. So that's definitely something to think about. And I mean, we would start really young with kids in Montessori with taking responsibility for their things and packing things away. And um, when we talked about putting clothes into a laundry basket, if you start when they're young, like, oh, I'll carry your t shirt and you carry your trousers, then you start doing it together. Um, it becomes very normalized very quickly and you don't have to, it's much harder to teach an eight-year-old to put their clothes into the laundry because they're like, oh, you do it. And they get that kind of attitude Mm -hmm. where if they've just always done it, it might be in at dinner time taking their plate to the kitchen. If you've always done that from when they're a little toddler, then they can just build that. And it's great for their executive functioning to be like taking these steps. So a younger child would just take it to the kitchen an older child will be able to put it into the dishwasher. Other children can help with the washing up. And then you can keep building skills like adding drying up to that list of activities that they're going to be doing so that you continue again to scaffold the skills and grow that executive functioning. So the younger we can start this stuff, the better. Sounds Definitely. Like. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you just mentioned the kitchen and that is a space I wanted to talk with you about for my Tilt community who reads my blogs, they know that we are implement or my son is implementing what he's calling the better breakfast initiative right now, which I am fully supportive of where he is working on creating his own healthy breakfast and really wants to be responsible for cooking all of them. So we're doing a lot of work around the kitchen. So you talked about kind of getting them, our kids like accustomed to bringing things in, maybe putting them in the dishwasher and, you know, kind of playing these bigger roles. What other thoughts do you have about the idea of, you know, maybe cooking or doing things in the kitchen? That's such a great space. Yeah. So you can definitely think about having things down low so that the kids can access them. 
So when people come into our house, they go to open the cupboard up high to get a cup. But actually everything in our house is down low because little kids can't reach up high. And even a six-year-old kid can't reach to the back of the top shelf. And so um, we have plates and glasses and bowls and things that they'll need for make their snacks and breakfast and things down low. That also means, I mean, I wouldn't be expecting them to cook independently until they're older, but you can get, definitely give them supervision and start off. I love baking with kids. And so when they're younger, you measure out all the ingredients and they take turns to add ingredients and then you can mix together. And then they learn the kind of recipes that you cook and they can start to do multi-step activities. So this is a common theme huh? <laughs> in all of these household tasks. They're brilliant for kids who are differently wired because they need to practice these skills. And around the home, there's so much opportunity for it. So definitely preparing breakfast can be really easy. You could put um, a small container with some cereal in it and a scoop, and then they can just scoop out um, one scoop of cereal and then have a small jug with milk in it so that they just have to manage a small amount of milk. And then for younger kids, we have cloths at the ready, like a hand mitt, because there's always going to be spills. And then you don't have to like freak out every time something spills. It's just like, oh, there's a cloth. You can wipe it up and it's no big deal. So it's definitely about thinking ahead, like how can I give my child success to do these things? And they get so pleased with themselves from like, oh, I made my mm-hmm. own breakfast today. I mean, Asher must have been really chuffed the first time he started that. He still is. He made Dutch baby pancakes this morning and best pancake he's ever had, hands down. He said, very happy with the outcome of that. <laughs> so I'm all for it. Yeah, it's really great for them to build their self-confidence. Also, um, when kids um, can't quite reach the bench to make their uh, breakfast and things like that, you can have a small stepladder. There's also learning towels and things like that to get young kids who are involved in cooking so they can, um, you think of age-appropriate activities for them. So a young child might just start tearing lettuce off or a kid who's never had any experience working in the kitchen, give them something easy like that they're washing the salad and those kind of things. And then they can build up to slicing with um, a not sharp knife and like something like a banana only needs a butter knife to cut it. And then once they've mastered that, then you could move on to cutting some cucumber and then moving up to cutting carrot and showing them how we use knives and all these kind of things. So it's always with supervision. And then, um, yeah, they start to learn all of the skills in the kitchen themselves. So there's definitely even as simple as having access to water during the day, a glass and a jug so that they can help themselves. It's so easy, but we forget and we're always yeah, doing it for them and missing that opportunity mm-hmm. for them to take on that responsibility and yeah, look after themselves. Yeah, it is. I think that especially for a lot of us, I know that independence piece and, you know, not just differently wired kids, by the way, you know, I've read so many articles about neurologically typical kids showing up at university, not knowing how to use a microwave or not know how to, you know, make an egg or, you know, these kind of very simple tasks or do laundry or whatever it is. So these are things I think that all kids can be focusing on, but especially for kids who are differently wired, I personally see this as a really big deal. And when we first learned about what was going on with Asher, that was the advice we got from someone who was involved with the center where he was assessed is really those executive functioning skills are going to make all the difference. And Working on them as kids, you know, when they're younger is such a great way to help the learning happen because their neuroplasticity, you know, it's, it's, they're primed to be developing these things. 
Yeah. Also, movement is great. If a child's dysregulated and they get involved with like scrubbing a table, it can actually help them calm down for the kids who like need movement to do that. Mm -hmm. So um, if you just invent a table scrubbing activity where there's a bar of soap and a, a brush and you wet the brush and you get them to clean the kitchen table, it can sometimes like, yeah, help them decompress um, if they're really out of control. Absolutely. And you get a clean table out of it. Exactly. So there's one other space I wanted to make sure we touched upon today, and that is the idea of a homework or a workspace. So for a lot of our kids, they are very easily distracted. I know we, you know, I'm homeschooling, so I'm always trying to figure out, you know, what is the right space for different kinds of activities. And I'm always like taking notes about, okay, this working at his desk for math is working right now. So how can we make that space more conducive to work, both in terms of helping kids feel productive or not get distracted when they're doing that, and then also helping them stay organized, because a lot of these kids, it's kind of a classic uh, especially for kids with ADHD is losing homework assignments, showing up to school, having knowing they did their homework, but not knowing where it is. Like, what thoughts do you have about how to set up a workspace to support kids like that? Yeah, it's definitely um, difficult for those kids to organize themselves. And so again, we need to keep it as simple as possible that their homework always gets unpacked and put in exactly the same place that their work area is actually clutter-free without distractions lying around. Because if they see their iPad sitting on their desk, before you know it, they might be distracted to do something like that. So really to remove everything else that they don't need and to have at the ready what they do need. Um, I like to also have like a little set of drawers where they can access a pencil or some paper, a stapler, scissors, depending, of course, on their age. So that if they need something, they don't have to walk to the other side of the house and wonder where it might be. Um, I remember just having a cup of tea at a friend's house and our kids were playing and they wanted to make some comic book and they kept running into the thing saying, mom, where's sticky tape? And then she'd have to ruffle through like hundreds of drawers to find some sticky tape. And so if it, this is in a completely, you know, there's no differently white kids here, but it's not teaching kids to take care of stuff themselves. So just taking a little bit of time to set up the work area to be very inviting, distraction-free everything at the ready and with the things always in the same place that could really help a child um, learn that system and then mm -hmm. be more productive every day. Do it the same every day because again, the less work that brain has to do to how do we do this again? You know, it really just helps their executive function a lot. Yeah, there's a book that I love called Switch by Chip and Dan Heath. And it's about how to change things when change is hard. I think that's the subtitle. But they talk about kind of, I, I'm going to say this incorrectly, but basically setting up the right path, like to create the perfect environment so that you can take the thinking out of it, right? That's what we're, when we're forming new habits, we eventually want kids to come home, know their backpack goes here, their homework goes there, you know, just and make this be more automatic, because then that doesn't allow for the space really, for them to get distracted with other things. Yeah. And the one thing that we haven't really talked about is to make the spaces really beautiful and attractive. Because then they're, it's more conducive to, you know, being a place that they want to hang out and that they actually want to do their homework or something like that. So that can also happen mm -hmm. in their bedroom. It might be a simple poster or building something in. Like if a kid likes cozy things, then to have a cozy corner where there's a blanket and a bean bag, you know, that could be a really nice place where they do their reading for school. And mm -hmm. so looking at the space and setting it up for your child can be really nice too. 
Yeah, and enlisting them in that, right? Asking them to help you create that space. Definitely. They love to be involved and then they have their own space that they're really proud of and they can take care of and keep clean as well. Right. Perfect. Okay, so I think we went through our home tour, at least the main rooms I wanted to cover today. You shared so many strategies and tips already, but do you have any kind of like key strategies that you would want to make sure our listeners take away from this episode? Well, I think like the three main things that we covered today would be like, one, how can you set up the space so the child could be more independent? So that was maybe putting their plates and bowls down low in the kitchen or having their bags and shoes always in the same spot so that they can take that on and do it themselves. Secondly, it would be making things attractive, comfortable and cozy so that it's an inviting, comfortable space in every area of your house. And thirdly, it would be to remove a lot of the distractions. So to clear away things, put things that aren't being used daily into storage and rotate things as they need and as your child changes interests and that kind of thing. So those would be my three main things for people to put straight into action. Those are great tips. Thank you for those. And before we go, would you mind just taking a minute to tell us a little bit about your setting up your home Montessori style class and also where people can get in touch with you? Sure. Um, I run a website called themontessorinotebook.com and uh, we offer an e-course called Setting Up Your Home Montessori Style. And it's a four-week online course where you receive a lesson every few days. Um, We go step by step and room by room through the house, giving ideas on how you can simplify your spaces, make them more attractive, and of course, build independence into the spaces. It's a really fun course and we'll be running it again at regular times. So if you want to find out when the class is running, you can just sign up for our newsletter list. That's probably the best way to get in touch. Excellent. And I will include links to that information on the show notes for listeners. So you can check out Simone's stuff. She also has a good blog and actually has created some pretty incredible free resources on there as well that you would definitely want to check out. So Simone, this has been so fun. Too bad we weren't in the same room, but I have to just say I learned something new every time I talk with you about this stuff. I mean, for as much time as we spent together and have talked about these issues, I always get takeaways that's kind of fresh for me. So thanks for sharing all this. This is super helpful for our community. I'm sure that everyone has gotten a couple of good tips that they can implement right away. So thanks again for being on the show. You're most welcome. And Debbie, thank you for all your work. I think it's lovely that you can make parents and other people in these differently wild kids' lives start to see the world through their eyes. And that's what we like to do in Montessori too. So it really resonates with me, what the work you do. So keep it up. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Simone's website, her e-course, Setting Up Your Home Montessori Style, and the other resources we mentioned in our conversation, visit the show notes page at tiltparenting.com slash session 49. And an FYI, Simone is going to be running a live version of her e-course starting at the end of this week. So definitely check that out if you're interested in learning more. If you like what we're doing here, please consider supporting our podcast through our Patreon campaign. My goal is to ultimately outsource the most time-consuming aspects of podcast production, and I am very close to being able to do that. If you're a regular listener and you get value out of our podcast, even a modest contribution, a few dollars a month, can make a big difference. Just visit patreon.com slash tilt parenting for more information. And thank you for considering. 
If you're not already signed up for our newsletter, I would love for you to join our Till Parenting online community. I send out short weekly updates with links to new content on the Tilt website, articles, and resources just for you. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Till Parenting, visit www.tillparenting.com. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.